Welcome to Witch Talks, the series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, professional tarot reader, astrologer, and witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm going to apologize in advance for the audio quality of this section right now, not our actual recording part, because I'm off enjoying myself in Melbourne on a little family interstate holiday. And I totally forgot that I record a start and ending to my episodes and I didn't bring my microphone because I'm not taking that on the plane. I already brought teacups for my tea leaf reading class. That was enough. So here we are. This is me saying hello to you all. Just a reminder that you can access the replay to my tarot class for this month only. So the month of August, 2023 only on my shop. And a little sneaky heads up that next month, which is September, I will be re-releasing my course, The Art of Psychic Divination. This is new and improved. It's a whole new method of taking the course. There is extra bonuses. There is all sorts of good stuff in there. So if you have been wanting to learn from me, if you've been wanting to learn how to access your psychic abilities and develop them and learn like, I don't know, 15, 20, I don't even know how many, I should go through and count how many different types of divination we actually cover but there is absolutely going to be something in there to tickle your fancy. You can sign up for the wait list on my website as those are the people who are going to be hearing about it first. In this episode, I am chatting with Marshall, witch of the Southern Light, an expert in the cunning arts. Marshall is a co-host on Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways, and the author of his new book, cunning words. You may also know of him through his TikTok and social media, which he creates in this incredible array of witchy content that just the aesthetic is perfection. Seriously, every video is just pleasing and delightfully witchy to all of my senses. It's wonderful. I'm so looking forward to chatting with Marshall and sharing his work and his wisdom with you all today. So let's jump into it. He is joining us all the way from Texas via Zoom today. Hey, Marshall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here because I've been a, a little bit of a long time listener. So the fact that I get to join in is really fun. I didn't know you were a listener. Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love, I mean, I was inspired by witchy podcasts to create a witchy podcast. So I listened to so many different ones and some of them are more favorite than others. And I like, um, I, I really love the way that you bring people on and, and introduce people and practices and ideas from all around the world. I think it's really cool. Now, now I'm gushing. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Awesome. Cool. That's a surprise. Well, if you're, since you're a listener, you'll probably know, I like to pull a tarot card for my guests, at least this season. Are you open to that? I am. Now I'm going to actually use, this is almost like divine timing. I would say one of my followers sent me this week. They were like, look, I have these decks. I'm not using them, but I think they're going to be great for you. I'm going to send them to you. They arrived within like 12 hours. They were here. I was like, what witchcraft is this? Wow. I got here and I opened it up. And it was a deck that I I still haven't even used this one yet, but this is the Hocus Pocus deck. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. (laughs) I haven't had this. I've had my eyes on it and I was like, oh my gosh, now I have it. And I was like, this is kind of perfect. So I'm going to use this one today. Do you have this one? Actually, 
I don't, I don't. Um, but uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2014, um, me and my friends, this is before Hocus Pocus 2 was coming out, before like all the costumes were big, we decided to go as the three witches for Halloween one year to our big uh, Halloween block party in drag. It was so amazing. We won the entire city costume contest. That's I was Winnie. That sounds phenomenal. Oh my God. And of course you were. I'll send you a picture. I would love that. I would love that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give it a little shuffle. Um, I'm still, I'm going to do like a little, feels weird doing an unboxing of a deck that's already been opened, but I'll, I've had a few people already say, please do it on YouTube. So I will. Okay. Yeah. Wrap a ribbon around it. (laughs) Untie it slowly. (laughs) All right. Cause I had a lot to say about the Disney villains deck. Oh yeah. To see how this one goes, which I like the Disney villains. I just think I could have done it better. (laughs) All right. Now, do you have a question? Do you have a a question in mind? I do. Um, I would like to know if there are any words of wisdom I could take in the process of writing my next book. All right. All right. My little, if no one's watching the YouTube, my little shocked face of, yay, there's another book. All right. Let's have a little look. So any words of wisdom for creating it or to include in? Uh, to create it. Create it. Okay. Advice, wisdom. Let's see what comes up. All right. So first things first, since I just got this deck yesterday, we have four of pumpkins. What are pumpkins? Are they cups? Let's have a look at the I know, I know. Let's get the bi- let's get the guidebook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So understanding your deck. That doesn't tell me much there. Major Arcana. <laughs> we don't want those. We want pumpkins. Are are they pentacles? Maybe. Feeling suit of pumpkin. It doesn't tell me. Oh, how cute! Well, let's. The king of pumpkins is a gracious and industrious man. Business and endeavors. So I'm. Maybe it is pentacles. Oh my gosh. I just, with, I just went with round shape. Yeah. 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 That's a good way. Discs. Does it say in here? Oh my gosh. I'll have to probably... I bet you, is there, is there like a potions for cups? If not, mm. what a waste. Yeah, I agree. There is. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't say it. There is potions. Potions is cups. You are I correct. knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I told you. Yep. And then lightning has got to be air, right? It's got to be swords. And pumpkins must be, yep. And then candles is fire. Okay. So. Oh, perfect. All right. That helps. That helps. Because we don't get a lot either. The image is four pumpkins that have been carved with different uh, things in them. One has stars, one has bats, one has cats in a crescent moon. So very, I mean, obviously the whole deck's going to be kind of Halloween spooky themed. But mm. four of pumpkins, which is going to be our four of pentacles. All right. Four of pentacles. Ah, all right. So for a pentacles, usually this is a card of what I say, protecting our energy. Okay. Protecting our main points of energy. So the words protection sort of come in there a little bit and making sure that what's coming through is potentially you let a little bit out, but not all of it, if that makes sense. So there's Mm -hmm. almost like protecting yourself and, and the areas where you are most sensitive and most vulnerable. Okay, so it feels like a little bit of a reining in. That whole energy of that card, which we see in the Rider-Waite-Smith, there's a, 
a man with a crown on his head. We can presume he's a king and he's holding a pentacle over his heart under his feet. Um, and I think there's one over his head as well from memory. So the crown chakra, basically heart chakra and under the feet, which is an energy point that connects us into the earth as well. Um, so with all of that, protecting yourself a little bit, and I'm getting that as well with these pumpkins, we have a little bit of the light shining through, but they're not mm-hmm. wide open, right? So they are, yes. you're letting it out. You're letting a little bit out, but there's still some of it staying here. So it's, it's almost like keeping some for yourself, okay? And as someone who is a fellow writer, I know there is so much that we put into our writing and so much of ourselves. So I think mm-hmm. this is telling you, this is your, your advice and guidance is to keep some back for you, okay? So keep a little bit private, a little bit protected, um then we also have the 10 of lightning which we can see there's just like lightning coming out of the hand so this would be like 10 of swords energy right Right. this is that like final death stroke which is very intense oh yeah now what i love about that 10 of swords energy okay if anyone ever looks at the rider weight smith it it's my favorite deck just because it is so rich with symbolism the man that's lying dead on the beach has his hands in a symbol of benediction, which is a blessing. It's the same hand like gesture that we see in the Hierophant as well. And whenever I see that, especially where the Hierophant does it, it, it tells me a little bit of a wait. It's a little bit of a pause. And with the 10 of swords energy, we see this new dawn rising. Now in this image from the Hocus Pocus deck, we still do have like this rising light coming from the bottom up. And we know, especially because we've seen number two, it's not really the end, right? So mm-hmm. that's the vibe that I'm getting with this energy is this the slight slowing energy, like a little bit of a pause. So maybe don't rush into it or don't rush to publish immediately or wait a little bit, like just a, a little bit of a wait energy and there will be more to come okay there is more coming so that's for you as well so maybe this even holding back is holding back for a number number three book potentially all right so potentially looking at that sort of aspect of it it's very practical and mental energy coming through for you how does all that feel oh i think you definitely hit some intense nails on the head uh, uh very very resonating with that in fact <clears throat> I hesitate to say too much because I feel like that's one part of the purpose of what mm-hmm. you literally just said. Um, but to know that's really interesting because I, I I have been somewhat struggling with a couple aspects of it and I wasn't sure exactly where to go or which where I wanted to put my focus and, and again, being very vague here in certain parts. So this, I feel like this definitely gives me some really, really wise words of wisdom. Thank you. Awesome. You are very welcome. And for everyone listening, when I do my tarot readings for guests as well, one thing you might notice, the more specific the question, the more specific the answer. So when we have people that are like, I don't know, just pull a card. Sometimes it can be more difficult because it's kind of, it's not as directed. And I find that when people come to me for a reading as well, and it doesn't really happen anymore, but back in the day it used to, uh, especially when I was learning and doing readings for literally everyone that would ask. When people come in, they're like, I don't know, just tell me what it says or just pull whatever. It is a more vague reading as opposed to when they're like, no, I actually need to know X, Y, and Z. It's like the whole energy shifts, right? The whole energy Mm -hmm. is, is different. So that's just a little side note into that. 
Now let's start chatting about what we wanted to talk about. So I do want to talk about your book, mm-hmm. but I also want to make sure that if anyone hasn't come across you before and doesn't know who it is that you are, are you able to let us let us in a little bit in terms of how you got to become the fabulous witch that you are and sort of what led you to this point? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, at this point in time, identify as kind of like a folkloric and traditional witch. Um, I'm in my mid thirties now. I've been through a really weird, quite a crooked path into the craft. Um, I want to say I was probably like 12 years old when I first found my first book of witchcraft. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it was the nineties. It was Buckland's big blue book. It's like the oldest, it's the tale as old as time, truly. <laughs> and at least when it comes to the witchcraft community and <clears throat> It was very, it was extremely impactful for me at the time. I was going through a lot of really intense changes that I didn't understand. I wasn't out yet. I didn't even know that I was gay yet. So it was one of those things where I felt like I was extremely um, at a loss of personal power and identity and not really understanding that's kind of a hard feeling to put to words. I felt like I was marginalized before understanding what that meant yet because it seemed like and i'm sure many other gay people out there will resonate with this it seems like everyone else knew before i did and almost to the point where i had to kind of counterbalance it uh, uh, uh fight back against it you know it wasn't until i was probably in high school and they were like it was just like you know gay and i'd be like yeah and and it was funny because that was also part of taking my personal power back. Interestingly enough, if, if um, it's weird being in Texas to have that experience of of being a witch and being gay, and which one of them is actually the one that ostracizes me more, if you will, you know. So it's one of those kind of funny things where um, it helped me find a place of, of of personal power and sovereignty when I felt extremely lost. Uh, um, I was not really getting what I wanted from the church. I grew up Episcopalian. Um, I have a very mixed family of religion in the past. So it was really just about me and my mom. My dad was kind of atheist. Um, it goes into a lot more different directions. So there was no pressure on me to stay Christian outside of me and my mom. And, and she was very, very, very open at certain points and she was kind enough to let me experiment and grow and eventually you know I came out I continued to practice all through high school in my 20s I kind of took a, a, a really long break and got back into spirituality in my 30s again and that was when I discovered when you take that level of a break and you're not exposed to that information that that in your face all the time when you come back to it after almost a decade the things that had changed, the exposure, it was so amazing. When I found like videos on TikTok, when I found people doing full pages of publishing, they put, posted pictures of their Book of Shadows. You have to understand, growing up with those original 90s books, like you did, nobody saw that. Nobody mm-hmm. should know. Even, like, and I'm totally dating myself here, like I had Teen Witch by Silver Ravenwolf, you know? Like 
even in there, as an author, she talked about being fired from more than one job by letting mm. it slip of what her religious beliefs were. So it was a very different experience. And I actually got in trouble at school for being a witch. Like it was one of those weird things like they didn't know how to handle. Like you can't really be punished for this, but people are gossiping and it's making them uncomfortable and you need to stop it, Marshall. Mm. That was my first freezer spell, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my very first spell that I ever did was a freezer spell. And like it's first... a great beginner spell. Oh, it's a it is such a good beginner spell. And it's I such put a good spell. I put a video up on, on TikTok ages ago. And it it went pretty uh, pretty viral in terms of doing a freezer spell. Mm-hmm. I just used that, you know that clip it was oh no, it's showing my TikTok age. Uh it was Shut like, it. who in the hell put the muffins in the freezer? That one? I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> and so I just like used it and was like, you know, I put the muffins and I'm showing like me putting a piece of paper in the freezer. I thought oh, it was yeah. a funny, quirky, witchy take on a trend, right? It mm-hmm. went off. And this girl, this girl like got into the comments and then made, dedicated her whole page to me and how wrong I was and how terrible this, this was and how dangerous this, this spell was and how irresponsible to sh- share it. And I was like, this is literally like you're it, it's the simplest it's just you put a piece of paper in the freezer and mm-hmm. it's the first spell I did I, I've done it a million times like what, what what's wrong with like not what's wrong with you but just who hurt you mm-hmm. you <laughs> know I have a spell in my old grimoire um and it was can we swear on this? I'm not sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay. It's called I shit on your life. And that's, that's, the, that's the curse. It's a little hex, you know, just a little I shit on your life hex. And someone said something nasty in one of my comments once or something about like, um, oh, your book is pretty, but your handwriting is super shitty. And I just was like, shitty, shitty, shitty. And the next I took, it's like a little piece of, <laughs> it's my toe is wiggling as I'm sitting on the on the toilet, like on my pot por- my potty. And then like a little square toilet paper with their um handle written on it. And then the flush, mm-hmm. <laughs> the toilet mm-hmm. flushing, and then me finishing with like shitty and showing the page and the actual book itself. And it was literally like no more than probably like that. a 15 to 20 second thing. And it did, it went viral. And I thought it was so funny because no, I didn't actually do anything, but it was like, what you literally came into my comments. Mm-hmm. You dedicated time from an extremely anonymous profile it's always to say way, that I it? have, right, to, to say that I have shitty handwriting, you know what, I have time to waste too. <laughs> I have time I love to waste it. too. I love it. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm a little petty online. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I just, I can't help myself sometimes. I'm like- Pettiness with know, humor, I feel like is the best. <laughs> like, I, I know you were there last week uh, on Twitter. There was this uh, person- commenting around uh some very not great stuff mm. i'm pretty sure you blocked them immediately and i was like you are a bigger person than I, oh yes not. yes, yes. <laughs> i know what you're talking about yeah okay because they put this thing on um they were very defensive about their mm. uh, like spiritual bypassing and very what i consider to be services steeped in racism and anti-semitism so i'm like mm. no, i'm just gonna have to jump in here and just giving me star seed energy. Yes, absolutely. And there was this full comment of, you know, whatever it is, I am right, you are wrong, you all think I'm lying, blah, blah, blah. And I just took the exact words that they said and replicated them in a reply comment. And they didn't even pick up that it was literally what they'd said that I was saying back to them. I thought it was hilarious. I was like, that's, that's so funny. And you're so angry at the thing that you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Isn't it amazing how that happens? Mm-hmm. It's like mirror. 
Yes, that's exactly what it is. It was literally just a mirrored comment. Mirror. <laughs> Get mad at yourself, girl. Yes. Ah, oh, yes. I Aging. Uh, I will. I will admit, um, maturing for me has has involved writing out a lot of response tweets, comments, and then deleting them. And walking away. That has what that's what maturing so has looked like do. for me. <laughs> and no, it's so hard to do. But it's been worth it. Um I I should say, so since coming back into all this, mm-hmm. starting to create social media, it's been it's been really, really amazing. I, I've loved doing it. I never intended to grow a following. I never intended to do this this thing that became like a, a online content creator. Like I never intended to do that, but it became so fun. I really enjoyed it. Um it was a great opportunity to share my own experiences and and I had this is one of the things that I noticed when getting into content creating and specifically just getting into the online world of witchcraft. There are so many people with really intense opinions. And I think an intense opinion is great when it's informed by fact or experience or experience. Um, Unfortunately, what I found is with such limited characters or time, especially depending on which platform you're talking on, a lot of black and white things become so severe. You can't do this no matter what on any circumstance, or this is always okay under any circumstance. Or I I felt like there were so many things that went from trying to uh, stop misinformation or correct misinformation to getting into a little bit more policing others to all the way into directly being like, I am now making content because I know it, enrages people and it Mm. gets it gets interaction i'm making content that i know is hot and spicy because it creates controversy and algorithms thrive on controversy as i've learned they do they love it and and i feel like we it it did it well one point a while back ago so deep into the opposite direction that we're no longer being helpful about the nuances of information and let's be honest witchcraft lives in the gray we have to be open to discussing the nuances of every subject um yes there will be some hard hard yeses and nos on things but we got to discuss these topics i think it's a great discussion to talk about the fact that freezer spells sometimes are considered baneful sometimes they're considered binding sometimes they're considered uh benefic it depends on your experience it depends Mm -hmm. on how you categorize it and having that discussion was what i wanted to really bring to my content um so it's been really really exciting kind of getting into that and 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 building and working with a wider community and that's of course what led me to finding traditional witchcraft um a couple really wonderful books that 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 informed my practice are uh Gemma Gary's traditional witchcraft the book of cornish ways the black toad and devil's dozen um i love uh treading the mill by nigel nigel g pearson and oh my gosh uh uh the Crooked Path by Keldon, which is a great if you're looking to just get some information on traditional witchcraft Keldon's book, A Crooked Path, is a fantastic like introduction. It's going to give you all of the bases so you feel like you get a good foundation and then you grow from there. It's super, super wonderful. And then I also love um, Folk Witchcraft by Roger J. Horn. Um, he's been a wonderful, wonderful inspiration for me. Roger J. Horn, did he write What We Do in the Night? What we do, what? No, he wrote uh, 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 13 Brooms at Midnight. Okay. And the witch's devil. The witch's devil. Okay. Who am I thinking of? What we do in the night. Sounds like an Not what we do in the song. shadows. That's the, <laughs> that's the TV series. Book. Google. 
do your thing. What we knew in the night. Ah, oh. that is by because I've read that one. I haven't. Oh, it's, that's Raven Grimassi. What am I thinking of? Um, it's an R. <laughs> it's an R word. I gotcha. Oh gosh. Anyways, no, I haven't actually read um, anything by Robert horn then i don't think i think i would recommend folk witchcraft to almost mm-hmm. any literally if you are if you are, are have never read a book on witchcraft before and you just want a little introductory and just the idea of folklore and folk informed witchcraft i would definitely say um folk witchcraft by roger j horn and the crooked mm-hmm. bath by Keldon. both of those have been instrumental in the setting foundations that i then built my practice up from mm-hmm. i love that all right, so do I have? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to double check if I have other questions because I really want to jump straight into your book. Let's um, do it. Good. Okay. Oh, I have one listener question before we do. Okay. I have a listener question. I love them. This this came in from uh, one of my Patreon supporters, Kelly, and they've said, "What are your secrets to being so fabulous?" <laughs> oh, where do I start? Okay. <laughs> um, funny enough, I actually feel. That's really kind for you to say. Thank you so much for saying that in the first place. Um, I, I I will say right now, I don't always feel fabulous. <laughs> so I, I, the internet is a beautiful thing because I am such an introvert right off the bat. If people don't know me, I am an introvert. I like being a homebody. I like not being around big groups of people. I get very overstimulated easily. And so I get to choose the best time that I feel offering myself to the internet. And usually when I do so, I love to do it fabulously. So one of the biggest things that I think really all of us should really consider doing if you want to live a fabulous life is think about how we ration our energy. What is our social battery like? Everyone's going to have a different one. Some people thrive in groups. Some people thrive being alone or maybe just one-on-one. I love a dinner party or a game night over a club night. That is how I find myself really feeling my best and giving my best to the situation that I'm in. Um, Finding that place and recognizing that it is okay to have FOMO. (laughs) It's okay to be like, oh, my friends are having fun, but I really want to be at home right now. It's okay to, I, I personally will actually set my social battery at the beginning of the day so I know how to ration it out throughout. I knew we were recording this tonight after work today. So I actually mentally prepared how I was going to expend my energy. I have a hard time people asking me things last minute mm-hmm. because I didn't prepare for it. And I'm sure that that wasn't the expected answer to the question for being fabulous. But I think when it comes to social uh, battery, a lot of us um, don't always give us give ourselves enough self-love. I think a lot of times we think like treat yourself looks like pedicures, manicures, and massages, but sometimes it means allowing yourself to turn your brain off. Mm. It means allowing yourself to get enough sleep when, when you, you know, if you're privileged enough to be able to, it'll, it means sometimes just allowing yourself to have that pizza and not feel bad. (laughs) Like for me, that's a big one. I, I need to, to feel happy and, and have that level of, of social battery, uh, saved up and rationed mm-hmm. and then that's that's how I feel I honestly live my most fabulous life I love that can I just say I picked my outfit specifically because we were chatting today and I'm wearing not that you can see it because it's under the table but it's the, the idea right I'm wearing my long black skirt <gasps> because it makes me think of you <laughs> oh thank you and in your book every time obviously you're depicted with this beautiful long I mean it's a trailing black skirt I don't have a trailing oh, of course. One, but it's there the vibe is there 
I do. I do think a good skirt makes anyone fabulous. I don't care what your gender is. A gorgeous Absolutely. flowing skirt that makes you feel like um, you could fly. I feel like if a skirt makes you feel like you could fly, it's over for everyone else. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's go into your book. So you sent me a PDF copy. So I've been able to devour that and have, as I told you, I've, I've since gone and purchased it. So I was like, I actually have to have this this physically in my hands, in my Thank you. library to, to have on hand. Because I loved, first of all, this book was not like other books in the craft. And I love that. It feels like I have, it felt like I stumbled across a book of old fairy tales. That's, that's what I've, like, this is, I don't know, the Brothers Grimm from way back when, and I've, no one has found this one yet. Like, that's what it felt <laughs> like. And I was oh. reading through it and the, the joy on my face when I got, so for everyone listening that the first, it's the first half of the book or the first. It's broken up in three parts. I mean, the first third is definitely probably the thickest part. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that has the 13 stories. stories yeah. Mm -hmm. So all of those stories. So it's got stories at the start and then uh, spell work and uh, spells at the end as well, but they all, mm -hmm. they all weave in. But my joy when I got through a couple of those stories and started to see the links back in the other stories and was like, Oh wait, that's that character. Oh, that's that one. Oh, it was just, it was wonderful. It was, there was so much thought. I could see the thought behind it. I could see the planning behind it. I could feel these like interwoven threads that were bringing it all together, like, like a tapestry. Mm. It was beautiful. I loved it. And for me, when I teach witchcraft, one of the things I find that works the best is storytelling. Stories are how we, like, you don't remember all the list of correspondence that that person gave you, but you remember the story that they said about it, right? How they used this and why they used that and what was happening and how they were feeling. That's what we as humans remember. That's why we have these oral traditions of storytelling and parables and things like that because we retain information that way. So to see this done in this aspect, amazing. What, where, like, obviously where did this come from? I think creativity comes from spirit <laughs> myself, but where did, what inspired your idea to create such a unique book like this? Well, you know, first off, thank you so much for saying that. I feel like you really described the feeling I, I wanted to put in, in, in this tome, in this grimoire. And actually, I feel like that's probably the best place to start. Grimoires are what inspired this. The idea of um, a mixture of grimoires and kind of like the, the, the folklore and bardic tradition of, of spreading information through song, through story, through rhyme. Um, I was very, very inspired by this idea that grimoires we've had from old, trying to wrap my mind around how I want to put this, grimoires we've had from old, we've had for centuries, we've had you know, the Testaments of Solomon, we've had the Black Pullet, we've had for uh, uh, um, so many of these really fascinating stories. And I think we forget that a lot of these different grimoires actually came in stories, a lot of different um, mythology and paganism that we even think of now in modern day came from stories, mythology. I mean, it's not just, you know, going to the, to the temple of, of Aphrodite, going to the temple of Zeus, going to the temple of Minerva. It's not like you just go to these temples and, and those are these gods and deities. 
they have stories, they have parents, they have children, they have, have love interests and adventures, they have things that shape who they are, what they represent, what their virtues are. And all of these things came together in my mind to inspire me to write something that was inspired by something old, but that kind of brought a new tale to deliver it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned before uh, Gemma Gary's book, the Black Toad. And that one was a really big, big, big inspiration for me because she wrote this book and it's a collection of, of West Country, so Devon and, and Cornwall witchcraft or folk magic. She wrote it in, in an organizational tool that comes in three parts. And those three parts are Old Mother Redcap, Old Mother Greencap, and Old Mother Blackcap. And it's a way of organizing the type of magic or charms that she was sharing from literally her, her home. And it, it was such a cool organizational tool to deliver this, one that was all about charms and spells, one that was all about plants and, and, and herbal curatives, and one that was all about hexes and curses and binding. And I felt like, I felt like I was, there was so much more than just the chapter. I felt like there was a story there. There was a, there's a spirit, there's a person. And I wanted to explore who that person was. I wanted to explore where they came from, what were their experiences, what what made this image, this title, Old Mother Redcap, represent spells charms? What made Old Mother Greencap represent plants, trees, and 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 healing curatives from from herbs? And I I kind of just wanted to explore what that would be like. I didn't know I was going to be writing a book yet, and I didn't quite yet know when I started that these stories were going to interweave and wind together. That was actually quite a, a a unfurling of events as I was writing. And I started realizing I just really wanted to give you a, a, a small piece of cosmology that it didn't have to come from some ancient source. It doesn't have to be some long hidden tome. I don't have to pretend that some, you know, random person from another country <laughs> gave it to me and I transcribed it. <laughs> like I wanted to give you the honest truth of what this was and where it was coming from. It's coming from something that was inspired by old, but it is new and it delivers new pieces of magic, new mm -hmm. ideas, things that I were inspired by, by my own landscape, by my own experience. Um, I love that you mentioned, you may not remember all the correspondences, but you might remember the story. And there's a tale in here called the seven holy siblings. Mm -hmm. And it's inspired by, I mean, I don't know a lot of modern witches who are like, yeah, I've read the three books of occult philosophy by Cornelius <laughs> Agrippa. Mm -hmm. But if you look in there, you see that he has in the first chapter really gotten into planetary magic. He breaks down the seals of the planets. He breaks down the virtues of the planets, the days that correspond with them, and a lot of different types of charts and seals and symbols. And I wanted to kind of take it into a folk method. I wanted to create a little bit of a parable. And I was able to create this this parable of, of seven holy siblings, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. What, who they were. It's a small little one. It just describes this is, this is sibling Sunday. This would is the you, temple. Would you be open to reading it? On yes. Oh, sure. Yes. Absolutely. I'd be happy to hold on. Um, I, I love that you asked because I think it's a really cool, and we don't have to read the whole thing. It's, it's, it's. Well, it's a good one to share and it shows sort of, um, I guess, what I'm talking yes. about in terms of how you can and how I, I don't know I just how the magic comes through and when you were saying that you know they're not old stories they're new but mm -hmm. all the old stories were once new right 
And and you know what? (laughs) Absolutely. And and one of the things that I thought of before is a lot of people have this idea that things that are ancient are things that are more valid. Yeah. Things that have been around a long time and they're older, those are more legitimate. And I'm like, everything was someone's UPG once. Mm -hmm. Everything was someone's individual personal spirit communication at one point. Mm -hmm. I I feel like that this is my this is my singularity. This is my first point. Yeah. No, I love it. So this is the tale of the seven holy siblings. There once were seven holy siblings, and the first was called Sunday. He was devoted to the sun and worshipped at the solar temple. He was a strong and powerful protector and had the gift of healing illnesses of the body. He always smiled, bringing happiness to all who sought him. His dwelling was covered in sunflowers, marigolds, and dandelions. The second sibling was called Monday, and she was devoted to the moon. She resided at the temple Luna by the sea adorned in moonflower. She was a water priestess and the keeper of dreams. She was known for her gifts of intuition, foresight, and empathy. She it was a great oracle, and people came for miles to seek divinatory services, water, and moon magic. The third sibling was called Tuesday and was devoted to Mars. He held court at the Martian temple and armory. He was great. He was a great and virile defender. His gifts of brute force and strength made him the champion of the people, and he led armies into victorious battles. With him on your side, no challenge would be too great to be accomplished. The fourth sibling was named Wednesday, and they served the temple of Mercury, adorned by dandelions and lavender. They were the head organizer and messenger of the siblings, having the gift of encouraging or calming discourse. They were a keeper of memories and thoughts and a great philosopher. They were a wonderful public speaker, and people would travel to the temple to seek guidance from Wednesday in matters of travel, business, and new opportunities. Should I do the whole thing or just... Go for it, yes. Okay, let's go. The fifth sibling went by the name Thursday and was the head of the Golden Temple of Jupiter. He was the most loyal sibling, a great leader and advisor in financial and legal matters. People came to him for gifts of wealth, prosperity, and improvements in familial and social standing. Supported by his sibling Mercury, he was known to aid in thriving business opportunities for success and gain. The sixth sibling was named Friday, and she was the most beautiful. She was devoted. Her, she devoted herself to the temple Venus and kept a harem of lovers around her. She was a great poet and supporter of the arts. People came to her to find romance and aid them in marriage and fertility. She gladly bestowed gifts of beauty, love, and friendship to all those who sought her Venusian temple. The seventh and final sibling was called Saturday. He stood guardian at the Black Temple of Saturn and was known to be stoic and nocturnal. He was a great magician who trafficked the spirits and was known as the keeper of curses and bindings. Surrounded by nightshades and thorn trees, his temple was only saw the bravest and most determined of visitors. They brought gifts of farm goods and once a year called upon called upon him to bless their crops with sacrificial blood. There once were seven holy siblings, and now you know them all. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. They stand sentinel of their temples, and every seven days each in turn reigns supreme bringing you the presents and gifts all week long. All you have to do is ask. I just love it. I just love it. And that is just, that is a small parable and it's it's slightly different to the rest of the stories that you've included. 
Yes, because it doesn't necessarily give a tale with mm-hmm. a point other than to help you learn mm-hmm. a little bit more and to personify. And personally, so I'm an animist. Same. I see spirit. You get it. You get this. I see spirit in everything. My book is a spirit. Mm. The, the characters are spirits. So when I talk about sibling Sunday, sibling Wednesday, you'll notice some of them are gendered, some of them are not. That's because they actually represent uh, the energy or specifically spirits can't be gendered. First off, let me just say that right there. But I'm talking about the actual connection to um, the planets that they're part of, the history and folklore and mythology behind the days of the week that connect to their planets. So it was very important um, to include the fact that obviously Wednesday is androgynous. Mm -hmm. And what I love about understanding these is you see it in the tiniest detail. Um, One of the coolest things I remind myself on a regular basis about Wednesday and Mercury being androgynous is that literally it's in the center of the week. You can see three days before and you can see three days after it goes both ways. Yeah. I think that's a really cool thing to remember and remind ourselves is when it comes to these spirits we're working with, we're not just calling upon a planet. We're not calling upon a necessary star alignment. We're calling upon these spirits. They exist and they exist so much more and, and a larger form and understanding than we really can really dwindle down into our human minds, but they do. And I tried to put it in a way that people could um, take in and and kind of feel closer to. Mm, I, I just love the way it's done. And each, each of those has its own um, sigil or... Um, yes. Would you just say it's sigil? A, or it's a... Well, the planetary seals that directly seal. correspond. Yeah, the okay. seal that corresponds to um, the three bulks of occult philosophy. Mm-hmm. And these seals were actually drawn on their number chimeas. So it's when you get into the math and it gets further away from the stories. And I'm like, that's to the stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. So you can see just by hearing that, and I'm sure mm-hmm. all of our listeners would agree, you'd be listening and going, oh, Oh, wealth and prosperity. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's the day that I do this spell. Like, it's just a way for you to understand those correspondences. And, you know, you can build an altar to each of these spirits using what you've heard in the parable, right? So I think that's- And what's what's really cool is, so that's the story. And then you go to the back and you have the the last chapter is the uh, talismans of the seven holy siblings. Mm -hmm. So you get there and it tells you how to- take the story that you just learned and then create a talisman. So if you wanted to, let's say, okay, so you wanted to work with um, Jupiter and and Spirit and Sibling Thursday for prosperity. So you would reference back to the grimoire on the back and then you would create the thing it tells you to create and then you would say this four times because the number four corresponds with that with uh, uh, jupiter and you say oh holy thursday i call upon your temple of jupiter i evoke your power your virtue your celestial force fulfill my petition O gainful giant of abundance and success a loyal leader most decorated and honored so prosperous in hearth and home under the might of jupiter imbue this talisman with the spirit of my desire made real and true and each one of the planets and specifically days of the week will have a a invocation or sorry an evocation you're calling out to them to fulfill your petition Mm. it's i love the interwovenness and the practicality that you've got within the book i think it's practicality matters yes and another Mm -hmm. thing which you've already touched on but i really wanted to bring up was the gender diversity in your characters Mm mm-hmm it stood out in a way that was, I don't want to say stood out as in like, obviously it's intentional, 
but mm. not in a detracting way that I think a lot of people presume it's done in that manner. Do you know what you I know, mean? <laughs> I do. I do. And, and, and I think it's very, very true. I do sometimes think that maybe things are put in stories as more so like a, uh, look what I did mm-hmm. versus a, uh, this was, this is just how it is. Yeah. Um, I think you can tell it's, a really big difference. It felt natural. It didn't feel forced. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Yeah. I'm feeling into the energy of the situation, but I really appreciated it. And I think it's so needed and I can just see, I just, I feel there's so much power in these stories. I can see them being uh, told time and time again, passed down. Uh, I can see them really influencing people's craft and the way that they bring in more correspondences. Like, oh, I'm going to bring in green or I'm going to wear green because it correlates with, and I'm going to do this because of that. And I can just see it getting bigger than you'd ever imagined, if that makes sense. I and hope that, so. <laughs> and that these these stories, there's a trans character, there is mm-hmm. a, a non-binary character that that just becomes normal part of storytelling, which is how it should be, I think. Mm-hmm. And if we look at fairy tales of old and what they've turned into now, can you imagine these? Like, can you? And, that and that's why. That's actually why, because I never had any. I mm-hmm. never had any queer fairy tales growing up. I never had any any Disney movies where the prince got the prince. Yep. I never got those stories. And I felt like I really wanted to create stories that told my story, that told mm-hmm. our queer stories. There is a really important story you mentioned about with a trans person's experience. I felt it was so, so, so important to include certain parts of what it means to live in the modern day as a queer person and not make it to where that's the point of the story, just Mm -hmm. that that happens in the story because that's the point of our lives is to be queer, but it happens to us anyways. And we're part of the society. And unfortunately we come across people who um, disagree with the fact that we should. Mm -hmm. And you come across a lot of um, very specific parallels in my book to what I have experienced in life and 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 what we as a community are experiencing. You know, there's a, a moment where someone doesn't like a very specific uh, queer relationship and say, we have to protect the children. Mm-hmm. You know, we I don't want, we don't want the children seeing you. And, mm. and it really connects to what we're living through right now. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote a book, I wrote, I wrote a story about the three wise healers. And if you read the author's notes, which we should talk with the author's notes, but yes, definitely. That wasn't... The charm was already written before I wrote the story, but I knew there was a deeper story and I didn't know exactly where it was yet till I found myself in the situation um, where we had a massive outbreak of monkeypox last year and Mm -hmm. my friends were catching it right and left. They were locked up in their homes for sometimes one to two weeks. We didn't know how long this would last. People, I mean, it was it really became stigmatic. It it was very, very full of stigma and Mm. it was... We were watching the way that our government, not only nationally, but specifically in Texas, was handling it. And we we heard the language of these extra of these conservative politicians. It was it was just the gays. It's just the gays. And then when it when we kept telling them it's not gonna be just the gays, it's literally a touch pox. And then children started getting it. Instead of being like, oh no my gosh, you're absolutely right, it is by touch. Instead, they went, How did a kid get it if it's a gay disease? And I'm like, how can I be living in 2022 at at the time with this happening? Mm. And we were, we were desperate. And my friend was on his 10th day. 
um, in his apartment with monkeypox. And he reached out and asked if there's anything I could do. And I said, I'll do anything that I can. And I did the three wise healers spell and I made a charm for him. And I gave it to him and he texted me two days later the pox started to scab up and fall off. And he finally, his temper, his uh, fever was completely gone. His muscle ache was gone second day. Mm. And I'm not sitting here saying that, oh my gosh, I did that. But I am saying that my, I'm, I believe that my charm contributed to it. Mm. And I believe that was the inspiration for the direction the story ended up going with the experience of the pox. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I love, as you said, there's, there's story and there's reasons behind everything that's in this mm-hmm. book and you can feel it in the stories, but then also you have these, as you said, author's notes yeah. that punctuate, you know, by the way, this one was written because of X, Y, and Z, or mm-hmm. by the way, I'm not saying this is my experience. However, you, you give that nuance that lacks in most other books and I think the reason you were able to do that is because you've self-published you got to have a say in exactly Mm. how it came out because the formula that we see through publish publishing companies they don't allow for that a lot of the time yeah there were definitely a few reasons I chose to self-publish I love a lot of these wonderful publishing companies I think that they're doing some of some of them are doing wonderful work Mm -hmm. I am a control freak and I really wanted this book to be exactly what I put out Mm -hmm. and and um I was grateful for the freedom and opportunity to do so. And the author's notes, I'm not sure if they would have made it in, in big publishing. I think, but I don't think they yeah. would have. Just for, with all my publishing experience. Yeah. Well, I feel like I feel like a lot of big publishers want the author to remove themselves from the work they're putting in there. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that because it comes from me and mm-hmm. and and my experience and my thoughts. Um I really, really wanted to make sure that when you read this story, you also got to understand how it came to be, what was inspired by it. You know, the 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 yellow bird story was inspired by Tijuba from Salem. Mm. And um the story of I mean the the song of the cicada is inspired by my experience in Texas. Yes, the thank story, you for bringing yeah. up the cicadas. <laughs> yes. And the crepe myrtle. The crepe myrtle is the same way. That's that's the tree that literally lines my sidewalks my whole yeah. life. So I I have a special relationship with crepe myrtles uh, because when I, as most of my listeners know, I did uh, do some work over in the States 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that now. And I worked on a, on a farm in Louisiana, in um, very rural Louisiana. And they had this beautiful big crepe myrtle and I'd never seen one. Like I'd never noticed one before. I'd never taken notice. They're gorgeous. But I remember every time we sat under it, we got beaten, eaten by mosquitoes. <laughs> but we'd sit under it because it was so shady and so beautiful. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a really nice big old tree. And then when I went back to the States when, gosh, I was pregnant, so 2016, I think, went back to the States. And that was when my husband proposed to me underneath a crepe myrtle tree. And it was just like this really beautiful, and that was, again, in Louisiana, that is Myr- so fitting for this story. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And it was at the Myrtles Plantation, right? Which mm-hmm. um, this beautiful old home, plantation home, and he did it there um, because it's meant to be haunted and I'm, I have a love of ghosts. So we had the ghosts as our witnesses to him proposing. Um, so there's beautiful oak trees, there's Spanish moss, which is like, oh, you can't really see it. There is Spanish moss hanging behind me. Just there. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm I love it. I just I don't know, something about it just warms my heart. I, this crazy thing that just like hangs off everything willy-nilly. I love it. It's like it looks like bits of thread. I love it. 
right? so it's like a, it's like a cat just like got a hold of a string yes it's larger than the world and went here you go it looks that's like it's my next story being decorated <laughs> that's the next right? story <laughs> It's the history just, of Spanish moss and the mythology yeah. behind it. <laughs> it's just, you know, been thrown around a little. I love it. It's just wacky and out there. So that there's the crate myrtles and yeah, the love aspect as well, which you've got in, mm-hmm. in that story. So I loved that aspect. Um, of course, I tried to grow my own down in Victoria where it's kind of cold uh, a few years back and my father-in-law mowed over it before it had a chance to oh, do anything. No. I went out and I was like, what, what happened to our love tree? <laughs> to it because it did it signified our well I was like this signifies our relationship and then he mowed it down I was like oh no what does that mean (laughs) it's all fine it's all fine at least he doesn't practice sympathetic magic thank god thank god no he's just (laughs) an Aries that's (laughs) so that was quite funny but you mentioned cicadas in another Mm -hmm. story as well and I love that because there are cicadas here in Australia as well and Mm -hmm. they're so noisy and cacophonous and I just the whole story like I have so many memories of picking up a cicada shell yeah, you, oh yeah it gets kind of stuck to you they're really sticky my dad used to come up behind me when I was a small child and he'd put them on my shoulder and then he'd yep. come around and be like Marshall what is that and yep. I'd be like freaking <laughs> out and he'd just be there laughing do we have the same dad <laughs> I think we might we might so yes that sort of a thing or like putting them on people that was kind of the yes it was funny and I was like oh I can just imagine you putting it on the tree and it just was one of those stories and those ideas that you've put in there that just inspires and I love books that that inspire my imagination and the creativity that comes with witchcraft that's one of my favorite parts about it so Mm -hmm. yes Uh, would you be open to sharing what you said to do with cicadas Yes, absolutely. It's it's a poem that I wrote that talks about understanding. You know what? I probably should just read it. Go for it. Would that be okay? It's your book. <laughs> right? I know, right? I, I should. I literally have all the rights to. <laughs> I, I guarantee that everyone listening is not like, oh, I don't want to know the amazing stuff that you're right. Like I can guarantee right? they would be like, why did you not read it out? Um, Hannah, can you get him back on to read it out? <laughs> I should have. I should have. Well, here we go. It, it, it was a it was a personal poem for me because I was taking a lot of walks back during quarantine. And one of the things I started noticing um, throughout the summer was all the little cicada like shells. And and I started uh, the exoskeletons that have shed. I started collecting them. I think they're magical. That's a whole nother witchy thing. But anyways, <laughs> this is called the Song of the Cicada. Song of the deafening cicada. Sing to me your southern wiles. Song of the cacophonous cicada. Sing to me of your earthly trials. From the ground do you crawl, from grub to winged beast, from larva beneath the darkened earth to treetops to make a musical feast. From tree to tree and shrub to bush, winged creature, strike your chords. Liminal being of above and below, sing the aria of the Crossrodian lords. Your fallen comrade here I bury amongst the roots of this fine tree. Respectfully cloaked in my desire, cicada sing out, your soul now free. I offer the sap of the maple tree in a bargain struck here and now. Wings do flitter, rattles sing out, seeds of the spell do plough. From here to there and there to yonder, the ballad of the south they sing. Carry out my will and make it true, my desire now real from song and wing. Southern force, hear my call, sing out loud and clear. Melodic spirit of my landscape, cast out my desire, bring it here. 
And that itself is the spell. It's mm. teaching you not only how to do it, but it is the words. It's it's a it's an invocation. It's or sorry, it's an evocation. You are saying a a a, a, a an offering to the spirits of the cicada. They are the music of my landscape. Mm. So this time of year, as they are like chirping outside, it is such an intense. Uh, music to me that I really, really felt inspired to work with it on a magical level as a spirit. So the concept would be you find a deceased cicada, one that has passed away, they have kind of a short lifespan, Um, save its carcass, not the shell, the actual cicada with like the wings and all. Um, You write down a reasonable desire. And I do say that quite a lot throughout the book, reasonable desire. We're not asking for the lotto, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You write it on paper and wrap it around the cicada's body as in... um, respectfully cloaked in my desire. That's what that refers back to. Um, Then you bury it in the roots of an old and tall tree where other cicadas dwell, because the important part is that you're giving it back to its community. You're also going to uh, uh, pour maple syrup as an offering as cicadas actually are known to drink and eat the sap out of trees. That's why they crawl up them. Um, As the cicadas croak for their lost sibling, they'll take your offering and sing out as the song travels. It will set in motion the reality of your desire. I love that. And especially because for me, sound is such a big thing about putting it out to the universe, Mm -hmm. to the spirits, making it known what I speak. So I create that whole abracadabra idea. Absolutely. I love that. And it's just like, let's times that by probably a thousand cicadas in this tree and make them all croak it out as well. Mm -hmm. And they're so loud, right? That. I just think it's, it's networking. So it's, it is it's networking. It's very, it's very uh, mercurial, yeah. isn't it? I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I think you can you can tell you've researched. You know, cicadas have the syrup of uh, the sap of the tree. Like you know that you've woven it in. The people reading it don't need to know that aspect, but they're learning it anyway. Yeah, and you know what? I I do hope that my book inspires people to research more because I I I am someone that loves to watch a period drama about someone real and be like, was that real? And then I'll look them up online. Yeah. I would love for people to to be inspired by things they read and then want to go research more about that subject, yeah. about that theme, about that that situation, whatever it may be. Um, I hope it inspires you to build upon and not just feel like that's it. I think mm-hmm. um, not everyone's going to have cicadas. Well, you but... can totally adapt it, right? You find Absolutely. either uh, crickets. Crickets, um, crickets are very noisy. Yes. I, we have uh, rainbow lorikeets here and they are, they are, they're like a little parrot style bird and they are very noisy and they swarm in with hundreds of them we have these two gum trees right outside the window that I look through from my study and at sunset they swarm in this huge flock of them and they just chitter chatter to each other very noisily Mm -hmm. deafening noise like I love the sound of birds but this is like okay you're pushing it guys (laughs) it's only certain times of year when the when the tree is flowering but they'll do it at sunrise as well, which is mm-hmm. not as great because it comes up pretty early here in the summertime and wakes me and my toddler and everyone up and it's fun. Um, but that I can imagine, you know, let's say you find either a bird that's that's been killed or passed away because mm-hmm. you know, there are cats around here, they shouldn't be outside. But if you found the carcass of one of these birds, you could bury mm-hmm. it with respect and dignity under one of the trees that you see them with. You know, it's using 
what you have and what mm-hmm. is super noisy, right? Just look for the noisy animals in your area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could, I mean, a lot of people complain how noisy possums are here. We have very cute possums. They're not like your possums over there. These ones are oh, like, sweet. like little adorable. Y'all, y'all have all the good marsupials. <laughs> yes, they're so cute. Because when I went to the States and they're like, oh, this is a possum. I was like, ah, what is that? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it doesn't look the same here. They look like feral cats. No, as a smaller and, and that sort of thing. But they can be noisy if they if they fight mm-hmm. or on your roof and things like that. Just whatever people find noisy, you could adapt mm-hmm. this, right? Um, I just think it's wonderful. And a huge part of the, the lesson of that, that poem is understanding that part of animism, part of witchcraft is spirit contracts. Understanding mm-hmm. that I think a lot of us think of spirit contracts as like this it always goes back to the whole like sold my soul to the devil aspect. Yeah, I signed my it goes, name in blood. And... <laughs> exactly. It, it, it really feels very nefarious. That's very Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That's very witch trials, which is super cute. But that's not always what, what spirit contracts means. Almost every spell that I do is some sort of spirit contract. I am offering you something as the spirit I'm working with. Can you help me by giving this back to me? Mm-hmm. Every single time you do a spell candle and you put intention oil around it and then put herbs around it, you're working with the spirit of fire and you're working with the the spirits of those herbs, the very specific uh, virtues those herbs carry. That is what they have to offer you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to offer it incense. I'm going to offer it a prayer or an inv- or evocation. I'm making an offer with this stuff for you mm-hmm. to give me this stuff. Yeah. It's it's very, very base level when you think about it like that. But yeah. that's what we're doing on an animistic and spiritual level. Before, we, not- before we even started this, I went around with my ro- dried rosemary that I lit and offered as uh, an offering to my deities. I've got one on one table there with a candle for healing as well behind me. There's Thoth behind me here. So offering Thoth. And I also promised to do some writing today. Um, and <laughs> my ancestors as well, because that offering of smoke and I'll go through, um, you know, on, on Saturday, I'll go through and charge up my protections around the house with smoke as well. It's that offering mm-hmm. it's feeding. I, I see it as like feeding my spirits and keeping that connection strong. Right. I give yes. you this and it just keeps a connection. It's not like a, by the way, can I have X, Y, and Z? It's so funny you say that. I have a very specific, uh, I call it a prayer. It's a very specific thing that I say every single day. I can say it. I have memorized it. Mm-hmm. I try to offer incense when I can as an extra offering. Yeah. But if I can keep that connection going every single day by saying this like 16 line rhyme that I have put together and written mm-hmm. as a devo- as a devotion to the spirits that I have, have, have made contracts with, I've made mm. agreements with. We're always staying in contact. I'm not asking for things every day. In fact, I actually rarely ask for things. But when mm-hmm. I do, that relationship is extremely already tipped in my favor because yes. I've put in the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I think it just keeps them present as yes. well in a way, which, you know, for me, I especially my ancestors, I want to keep them present and know that they're remembered and that mm-hmm. they're special to me and you know, part of an offering to them is to read. I wrote a, a book of mem. I wrote my grandmother's memoir uh, with her whilst she was still alive, and had that printed and gifted it to her for her eightieth. And part of my, I guess, devotion to my ancestors is I read those stories to my children and I show them those photos, and it's keeping that memory alive. And mm-hmm. I think it's really beautiful. And then every now and then, I notice, you know, there's a specific bird that I know is from my grandmother. When I see it and I'm like, oh, she's bringing me a message. What is that message today? And I know that she'll be there for me when I need it because we've Mm -hmm. got that connection still strong, you know? Exactly. 
it's yeah I think it's lovely I think the way you probably why your book resonated so much is it feels very similar to how I do magic so probably saw myself a lot in your words without taking I'm glad I, I hope self people, in the world. <laughs> yeah no I hope people I hope more people do you'll notice a lot of the characters don't have names mm-hmm. um only uh, only a few characters have names and the point is not to know their name it, it's actually to know their experience mm. um the point of a lot of these tales are not um uh to be a work of fiction they're meant to Im- to impart information and to give you a experience to have along the way of receiving it so like in, in first flight there are no names used whatsoever mm-hmm. in fact some of them don't even have faces like literally that's a part of the story in the first place which connects back to the fact that during witch trials there were a lot of but during confessions they would say like oh there were other people there but their faces were shrouded it's a tiny detail and you know what someone may not go off and research that but someone maybe who has done that information or read say uh the witch's sabbath by kelvin you might know mm-hmm. some of that little bits of history and information that actually went to just inform that little detail and if that. you don't then it's okay yeah, I'm I'm definitely one of the research type people. I'm uh, such a researcher. Yes. <laughs> like when I tried to read Outlander, uh-huh. I got so annoyed because I got up to, I don't know, she goes to get her wedding dress and she chooses a white one. And I was like, white was not a wedding dress thing back then. What? When did the wedding dress come out as white? I'm looking up and it was the Queen of Queen Mary, Queen, some one of the queens, but it was not when Outlander was done. I got really annoyed that that was not researched that they just presumed oh white mm. was what wedding dresses were no it was just your best dress until maybe it was queen victoria one of the queens one of the queens yeah. brought it in i can't remember my english history is not that great. i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it was victoria because i victoria. think yeah anyways yeah, anyways she <laughs> maybe. wore it anyways. and that made it like the fashion and then it just grew from there but it was not right. back when outlander was set and that annoyed me because i am the research type that go hang on a minute mm-hmm. let me check that <laughs> I went down on a deep dive this like ages ago and I couldn't keep reading the book to put it down. Oh, wow. Got in the way. It, it should have been blue way. anyways. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I, I watched the show. The show was very good. I might go back to the book one day, but my, I think my type of neurodivergence, I, I get in the way of myself enjoying things. I do too. I, 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 <laughs> I get in the way when I'm reading a lot of fiction or or even watching shows where I'm like, I don't like the position that these characters got put in. I'm going to watch something else and then I will never go back to it again. Yep. Yep. If I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. Just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and I loved your book as well. Took into account that people with neurodivergence might be reading it. Yeah. And that so was really important to me. It was spaced out in a way that it made it very easy to read. Let me just say, I'm a good reader not- anyway, but- no big walls of text was very good. Mm-hmm. It was very helpful. I got a lot of comments back and a lot of people saying I have a hard time sitting down reading a book. I flew through years and mm-hmm. that made me feel wonderful because I want people to feel joy when they read these stories, when they take them in. I don't want you to feel bogged down with mm-hmm. a wall of text, as you put. It, it is one of those things that is, I will literally start to nod off. It yep. is so difficult sometimes. Yeah. And I think as well, like I, I read your book in two days and it was, I mean, it was on my phone, so that made it also easy because I always have my phone on me. Mm-hmm. But the short stories as well, I knew that I could just, just sit down and read one short story and then get up and do what I had to do. Exactly. And that made it easy. There was a very clear stopping point if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. And in comparison, I'm reading another book at the moment and not liking it, which is 
a wall of text and it's it's if anyone's ever listened and this is I will make an actual review I'm going to try and finish the book I don't know if I will women who run with the wolves I've heard of that one I've heard so many people talk about it. I was like fine I'll go read it just so I can because everyone's like oh have you read it or should I read it and I'm like I'll go read it myself first and within the first chapter, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Mm. It's a it's a lot of prose without mm-hmm. saying much. It's a lot of words to say not very much. Um, uh, it's giving me once in future king energy. It's just very, word, very wordy. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like three chapters in and it's no better. The only good uh, oh. part is they're talking about uh, stories. So they've done a retelling of Bluebeard. And I love that story. And so I'm like, oh, I enjoyed this bit. But then when they pulled it apart afterwards and talked about Bluebeard, I was like, oh, no, I don't like what the actual author's saying. Yeah. And the fact, because they keep talking about how the wild woman is an archetype. But one thing, I'm going to read this out because you're going to laugh. I laughed. I, oh, did I read? I, I wrote it somewhere. Anyway, they refer to the woman, the wild woman who lives in the out-of-the-way pelvis and that we need to appeal to them when we lose things. And I'm like, City, they're going, um, whispers to pelvis, excuse me, ma'am, are you in there? <laughs> like, what did I just read? <laughs> Lives in the out-of-the-way pelvis? Yes, and it was written like out-of-the-way pelvis. And I'm like, is this a place? Is this literally my pelvis? Are you saying that the wild woman lives inside my pelvis? I'm very confused. I'm very confused. It was very strange. And there's a lot of weird gender. It's, I mean, it was written a while ago, so I have to give it that aspect. Uh, But there was a lot of stuff saying that women's life energy is in their eggs and that for men it is in their furry very little pocket or the cojones and I was like what am I reading wait wait so the furry little pocket and the cojones are the same because I was gonna think that those were two different things I think so is what they're referring to they were like oh if you're another gender and you're reading this book this is what where your life energy is I'm like oh this is again this is where nuance comes in and Uh there is no nuance it's like this is where it is I'm like what about people like my niece who was born with no ovaries like does she have no life energy what? None. You know? Like, None. None at all. <laughs> oh, those. So, yes, it feels like a book I'm not going to, uh, yeah, I've already made my decision, but I will still keep trying just to give a thorough review on that. Uh, but it'll totally. probably be a very critical one. So that's probably not, <laughs> that's why I was like, and I'm just going to read Marshall's book instead. I'll just put that aside. Just <laughs> put it aside. Put aside. <laughs> this one's way better. And, it, yeah, it was just, it was really fun. I really, really enjoyed I'm going to go back and read all of those um short stories again and I just think they're really they're they're filled with magic there's not like they're vague enough to give you so much room to Mm -hmm. imagine them out it just felt yeah just like an old fairy tale right yeah and it was really cool because some of them they are teaching historical acts of magic things that we know uh, there's Mm -hmm. one called witch bottles that teaches the two different types of 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 like a uh, witch bottles that were used mm-hmm. in Europe, specifically mostly the UK. And then over again through traveling into America, we found a bunch yeah. like hidden under old homes when they dig them up in for the renovations. Chimney, behind the yeah, bricks. up the chimney. Yeah. And there was two different types. And a lot of times you only hear about this one, you only hear about this one. And there were actually uh, ones that were more protective and ones that were actually meant to send back malefic magic sent your way. And I wanted to to create a story that could deliver that information to modern practitioners in a way mm-hmm. that could be applicable now, today. 
Yeah. Well, you've done really well. And I love that you've called it, you know, you use the word cunning quite a lot in there. And I do. I think you've been really cunning in the way that you have woven your own words together and the magic that's within them and the wisdom that's within them. I think it's very, very well done. So well, thank, you. thank I, you. I I did use that word a lot and you'll notice it. I, I, I'm not sure if someone did this as a subtweet situation being like, some people don't know what the word cunning means. And I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not sure you're talking about me, <laughs> but I do think that it is that word alone has taken on a larger than life uh, uh, energy when it comes to our specific community, when it comes to, cunning man cunning woman cunning folk mm. it it doesn't necessarily always mean exactly what the original definition from the dictionary meant because it's taken on an etymology that has been attributed to people that has been owned by people mm. and especially when it comes down to the fact that to do this work you have to be cunning you have mm-hmm. to be clever you have to be you have to a lot of times read between the lines uh, and and even if you find that that may be difficult. You have to find a way to adapt to a lot of your situations. This book really kind of delivers information in a way that you could read this as a simple story and tell it to someone. You could read this to all the stories, except for probably one of them, to a child. Mm, I was actually <laughs> thinking could, that. I was like, hey, could I read this to my six-year-old? But there was, yeah, there was the flight one. I was like, yeah, no, the first flight one. one. <laughs> that, one's, that one's for adults. But even then, that parable of what was going on that was definitely more adult mm-hmm. had a very specific purpose. And it was that teaching about the transgressive nature of what it meant to be a witch and what people mm-hmm. thought it meant to be a witch. Um, all of these things are delivered in a way that, like I said, could be read to a child as a story. But someone with a cunning eye could see, this is teaching me something. Oh, this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So I could mix this up together. I bet you if I read this while lighting a candle and saying that, and not even I bet you, because in the back, I connect all of the actual yeah. grimoire work and spells back to the stories, back mm-hmm. to these characters, what might have been in their personal books of magic. Mm. No, I think it's wonderful. And what I've noticed with you, even just through your content and everything, words for you are very, are you, what's your big three? Um, Sagittarius, Capricorn, and Gemini. Okay. Gemini. I mean, words there as well. And same with Sagittarius in a way, there's that teaching, that high level teaching and that, uh, bringing it down to knowledge that everyone can understand that would be in those big three. Uh, but with your content and even through this book, words seem to be just this like real magical focal point. They're very well thought out. They are very purposeful. Every word is said. And even just the fact that you have an amazing reading voice, please tell me you're doing the audio book for this. I will be. Good. Good. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just, it takes you to another place. That's what I've always loved about your content is you're like, I know it's you as soon as I hear your voice and it sort of drops down and it gets all like a little bit breathy, but like in a really magical way and not a, not a like sensual way. If you know, there's like, well, difference. thank you. <laughs> and you know, um, ASMR is kind of one of those funny things that I think has also taken a life on its own. And I'm not a huge fan of the whisperies and scratching microphone and nails on on, on anything. But I do think there is a level of, I think that there's a level of listening that I think reaches people on an emotional and nostalgic level. Mm. And I think that there are certain voices that just absolutely hit me that way. And I wanted to try to create that. That's what I feel when I, when I work this, when I, when I talk about this, when I, when I wrote these stories, I felt a deep sense of, of nostalgia, of magic, of dark fairy tale, as you described. Yeah. 
And so I wanted to make sure that when I deliver my work, when I deliver my content, when I'm when I'm sharing something, I want you to feel that same way too, because witchcraft is so much more than words on paper. It's so much more than spells and herbs and, and deities and the internet. It's such an intense feeling. And I think that I've read a lot of witchcraft books that had a lot of information and no feeling. I felt like I was getting an absolute absence of humanity behind it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that you felt like you were cuddling up by the fire and your grandmother was teaching, was telling you a story while knitting or like crocheting. You're like, there is that, like you can smell the, mm. the, the fireplace. You can smell the hot cocoa. You can feel that sense of comfort and hominess while you read these stories mm. and listen to them and get that emotional punch. Some of them do have quite an emotional punch in the gut. And yeah. some of them are, are are meant to make you feel something a little uncomfortable. And some of them are meant to make you feel something a little bit elated and 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 sexual. And you have all of these feelings and emotions. And witchcraft is not devoid of those. Mm. Um, so I was important to me and how I deliver them, how I speak, especially in my content and hopefully in my book. I yeah. want that feeling to be very, very present. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I can definitely say that it had a vibe of like the silver bullet and the other witch folky yes. story had Love that vibe, the had the vibe without being like against witches. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Cause I find those folk tales and those, for anyone listening, they're uh, Southern kind of like Appalachian folk stories that have, have this sort of same vibe except they're very much like which is a bad which is evil throughout mm -hmm. all of them and which is all in league with the devil whereas yours didn't have that it was more this is power this is uh, either saving someone's life or opening the way for them or giving them their power back right so it, well, it, was, it was a different perspective yeah it was from it was being told from the perspective of the witch and the fairy tale is not always the bad guy mm -hmm. and instead it it gives you the perspective sometimes from the witch, sometimes from the person experiencing that that access to power for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I felt like we always got fairy tales from the outside perspective of why the witch is bad, uh, how to trick the witch, you know, how to get yeah. what you want from the witch and, and walk away still alive. Um, I think that there can be a place for that, even in what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. But it, I don't think it comes across as... I don't think it always has to be quite as dire. Yeah. And I think that there's so much more to the, like when you think of stories of Baba Yaga, you have some stories where she's eating children and some yep. stories where she's like, you're clever. I like you. I'm <laughs> going to teach you something. And you never know which direction it's going to go. I think I'm actually chatting with Madame Pamita next week. So oh my gosh, everyone, yes, please. Everyone Tell listening, her hello. that one will be coming out um, later on. But with, with her book, that was another aspect, the folk story throughout it around Baba Yaga and mm -hmm. and the story I love that that's what I love in terms of a book and learning because you as I said learning through story is such a powerful way to do that and you've got that same aspect and that's probably why these two books I loved so much and have asked both of you on to the podcast because I was like you know the the storytelling aspect of it is really really beautiful so thank you for putting your work out into the world um before we jump off what mm -hmm. is I guess your um what is your one piece of advice that you would give to anyone who is, who is, I don't want to say reading your book because not everyone's going to have access straight away as well. Maybe mm -hmm. to everyone who wants to incorporate more stories in their witchcraft. Mm -hmm. 
I'd like you to think as a practitioner, especially if you're new, it doesn't matter if you're new or adept, I want you to think about something that is prevalent in your life. It, it could be as simple as the tree at the corner of your house that's been there a long time. It could be a piece of art you've had in your home, or maybe a piece of art that you, you've walked by at your work for years and never really noticed. I want you to take a second and, and actually give it a little bit more attention. Um, there's a picture behind me you can see here. Uh, that I drew when I was much younger and then recreated it digitally. And I call it The Lady Who Watches. It was a simple piece. It was literally a simple ad in a magazine. And I drew it in an art class. And I built this story around her. And it happened over time. Uh, she, My mom... You know my mom. She no, you don't know my mom. Oh my gosh, you know moms. <laughs> they, they, they. She framed my my picture and hung it up, and she became the lady who watched my family. She watched mm -hmm. over my childhood. She watched over me growing up. She watched over me coming home being bullied. She watched over me coming out. She watched over me moving out. She watched over my sister as for three more years. She watched over her as she moved out, and then my parents. She watched over my parents' divorce. She watched over their new home. She watched mm -hmm. over all the things and ultimately she's become a figure in our house in my home because now that i've digitized it i've got one for my sister i've sent one to my mom i've sent one to my best friend kevin and i have one in my house and i think a lot of you out there as, as practitioners can look at pieces of art statues things that maybe have been passed down in your family maybe you just found it at a thrift store and you can actually take some time to think about it this painting, who is this character? What is their backstory? Do they have any ideas? Are they good or bad? Are they a little bit in between? You know, are they oppressed? Are they privileged? I think if many of us started asking ourselves, what are the stories of these people and paintings that we pass by every day? What is the story of this tree? It's an oak. What type of oak? What area of the United States, if you're in the United States, does it come from? What area of the world? What is the name? Like who gave it this scientific name? We have the means at our fingertips to look these things up and research them, there are stories and things that exist that you don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And I think if we took more time to think about that, I'm a huge believer in romanticizing your life. I think we should do that. I think we should do it all the time when we can. And I think if we do that to the things in our, our spirits of our home, the spirits of, of the trees in our yard, the spirits of the crepe myrtles, you know, the spirits of our furniture, the spirits of our car, if we started thinking about them as living, breathing spirits with stories, with ideas, mm. there's it, you'll never feel alone and you will start to connect to the world around you on such a deeper level. And I guarantee you, you will find that there are creative stories coming at you right and left because you've opened yourself up to them. I love that. It's something I think I do naturally as well. So it's probably why I was always drawn to your content and everything, but fantastic advice. You might see behind me, there's a an emu on the wall. Yes. See that? The orange emu. I painted that. I love painting emus. <gasps> Um, and I call, I called her Karen because it looks like she's just sort of poked her head in like, what's going on in here? What's, what's, she's like <laughs> keeping watch, but in a very like. Yeah. Do you live in this neighborhood? Yes. <laughs> Are you supposed to be, do you have the password? That? Like she's watching over my sacred space, right? She is, yeah. she's the Karen that's like, you know, looking out for me. And then I've got, you can't see there's a magpie here as well that I've painted. I'm, I'm going to show you as well for people watching on YouTube. This is Matilda. That's beautiful. Isn't she gorgeous? Matilda wow. Magpie. 
she um and i've done i always talk about it i've got a uh a YouTube video on art magic where I talk about creativity through art magic. But Matilda, because all of my paintings, they all have names. Mm-hmm. Matilda is like the busy magpie mum. She's got a nest full of little birds chirping at it. She does not have time to deal with anyone's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's just, but she's also got your eye. She's got her eye on you. So I've got these two watchful spirits at both ends of my sacred spaces where I do all of my magic, my workings, my literal work, podcasts, everything. And I've got them both opposite each other, just keeping an eye on everything, right? They're my watchful spirits. Yeah. I, and I love, I've, I've given them stories. You know, she's got her, she's a busy mum of probably five little magpies chirping at her all the time. Um, but she's got, she's got an eye for detail. You know, magpies will pick up on the tiniest little glimmer of anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas my emu over here, emus can be pretty scary. They're pretty big, right? Pretty I've, I've big. been to an emu farm actually in, in Texas. <laughs> they, they are interesting. And I've seen ostriches. It's a, yeah. Night and day, but still. Yeah, so they're very different, whereas magpies are a, a little, they're smaller, but here they swoop people. So we have signs. Oh, there's fun. a there's a crossing for the school right behind behind us, and there's a sign there saying, like, take an umbrella, wear a hat, because magpies will swoop you and they'll come and get you. I've never been swooped, and I think that's because I have, um, I, I practice ornithomancy. I, I give a lot of offerings to the birds, that sort of thing. Um but that's why I've sort of brought her in because she's protective. She's a bit scary. She'll go after people. Whereas Emu is a little bit more like a sentinel in a way. Mm-hmm. Like she's not, she might run after you or chase someone, but she's not really going to hurt anyone. They look scary. Mm-hmm. They're really not, but she's still, she's going to tell me about it. She'll tell me about it. <laughs> I love that. I, I put bird feet out on my patio a lot and I've started to I have a squirrel that comes. I've mm-hmm. named him the Dentalian. And it's, a, it's it's the funniest thing. He literally comes out and if there's if there's no food there, he'll literally wait. He will look through my blinds to, for me to put it out there. And it's very interesting. I know it seems silly, but like literally building a, a quote unquote building a relationship with the squirrel. Yep. It's become part of my animistic practice. I mm-hmm. gave him a name, Dentalian. What does he like? He likes more peanuts. He <laughs> likes cheese. Yeah. He's not a fan of of this and that, but he likes the like the way that we can do this mm-hmm. with the world around us is so much more in our face. And mm. sometimes we're so busy looking for the next book. We're so busy looking for the next influencer that we're forgetting, mm. like these things exist in our homes today. What about that lamp your grandmother passed down to you? What about yeah. those? I mean, like I have family from around the world. So I've had some wonderful little things passed down to me and they carry with them a lot of time. A lot of hands have touched them. Mm-hmm. A lot of feelings and experience have had passed down through them. And yeah. I think as practitioners, we can build our own stories. The information that's coming through is your UPG. Mm-hmm. That's your personal gnosis. You're not going to get personal gnosis from any witchcraft one-on-one book. Yeah, definitely. Where can, so I know I bought your book on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Is Where else can people, can you find it in stores? Is it in stores? Is it because self-publishing not really, is slightly different, right? Yeah, I, I self-published through Amazon. So mm-hmm. that made it the most accessible around the world. Um, so in general, if you want to purchase it, there's four different ver- there is four different versions on Amazon available. There's the Kindle version. There's the uh, uh, standard color paperback. There's the uh, hardcover, and there's the the black and white uh, book as well. And depending on where you are in the world, Amazon doesn't have a couple of them based mm, off of certain I'm things. Wondering which one I got now. I had to send it to my husband to buy through his account because he's got Prime and I don't. So of course, of course. <laughs> 
Um, what link did I send him? Did I get the I the color one? <laughs> and Australia was funky. I don't know what was going on. That one was having a hard time with the press. I know. I know. It's, yeah, we get everything like either really late or not quite right. But let me see. How do you how do you tell which is the difference when you're looking? Oh, black black and white five by eight edition. I think that was the That's only the one. The yeah, only one. That I, I think get. Australia. I think Australia didn't have hardcover or um, standard color. Back. Um, but if if you if you are super super anti Amazon, I did self publish it also through Ingram Spark Catalog, so that makes it available on uh, BarnesandNoble.com, and it's oh, the awesome. black and white version. It is the black and white version. If it's through Ingram Spark, it's the black and white version. If you are an occult shop owner and you want to carry my book, you can by ordering <laughs> it from the Ingram Spark Catalog. Awesome. I know one shop that I think would really. Well, if you want to talk to them about carrying my book, I mean, that'd be super cool. I will. I'm going to be pre- presenting a class there um, next month. So I will absolutely, because it's right. It's it's right up there, Ali. I know what they're like. So oh, I will mention you. it. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Where can people find you online if they want to follow along with you? Please follow me. I am on Instagram and uh, TikTok and Threads now. Oh, Threads! I know it's an. I oh yeah, we got to add that in really now. Fun. I know. Uh, at Witch of Southern Light, I am on Twitter at Marshall WSL, but that's I, I'm kind of moving out of there and over into Threads. Too, I don't. Ha- I'm not happy with with Twitter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to read my blog, I haven't been as frequent with recently, but uh, the Southern Light Diaries on Pathios Pagan. Um, if you want to buy my witchy wares on my Etsy shop, you can purchase um, PDF for Grimoire pages. These are actual spells from my book that I have uh, uh, digitally put together in a beautiful printable Grimoire page. Cut it up, make it smaller, paste it in your own personal magical record keeping. And I also have um, a lot of my art, some art from my book, some art inspired my book, and some art that came before my book on my Redbubble shop. So uh, lots of merchandise on lots of stuff. All of these links can be found in the link tree and every one of my bios. So awesome. maybe I'll anything. put I'll put your I'll copy your link tree link and put That'd it in the, the description. There we go. Why have I not go. done that for anyone else before? That is a really good idea. <laughs> and and for people, go check out that link tree. Even if you're already following me, you haven't taken a look. I have like tons a of million. free resources. Yes, I have tons of free resources. You can literally, you can uh, look up uh, planetary correspondences, days of the week, herbal mm. correspondences, how to make herbal tinctures, how to make extractions, uh, how, like lots of different free resources for any awesome. practitioner you want. That's so good. That's so helpful. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us today and sharing your words, sharing your wisdom, sharing your light with all of us. That's been really, really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I can't wait to hear it. Yay. Oh, I could just listen to Marshall all day. His voice gives me goosebumps. It is phenomenally beautiful. And that's probably why he also has a podcast. So definitely check out his content. Absolutely highly recommend his book and love everything about Marshall. Now, if you guys are on Spotify, then you're going to want to leave me a five-star rating because we are coming up to the two-year anniversary of the Witch Talks podcast and I'm hoping to have 50 five-star ratings on Spotify by that time, which is September 1st. So you have two weeks to rate it on Spotify, guys. And if you're over on Apple iTunes, I don't I don't have an Apple. I'm an Android girl. So I don't actually know where it's up to on Apple. So feel free to send me a screenshot, but you can rate it over there and you can leave me a beautiful comment over there as well. A little review would absolutely make my day. So have a wonderful day wherever you are in the world today. I am enjoying Melbourne, probably flying back home on the day this podcast goes to air and I will chat to you next time.